You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Adrian mentioned we started a new series today, and so uh, we're looking at the cross. We're starting a journey to the cross. And, you know, I think as Christians, it's really important for each of us uh, to make a habit of looking at both the wonder and the horror of the cross because it is the most significant part of our Christian journey. John Stott writes this. He says, The cross enforces three truths. The gravity of human sin, the wonder of God's love, and the completeness of God's redemptive work. And when you truly look at the cross, when you truly look at the cross, you understand salvation that salvation can only be a free gift. There's nothing we can add to the gift of salvation. There's nothing we can add or contribute to the cross because it is, there's nothing left to do. In Christ's own words, when He hung on the cross, He said, it is finished. And so that's the journey we wanna take over the next four weeks as we head into the Easter weekend. We just wanna journey the cross together uh, as Jesus did. And today, we're looking at what took place in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. And so I'm gonna read the, the scripture from Matthew, Matthew 26. And it's quite long, but I want you to stay with me, okay? And so you can follow along with me. If you've got your physical Bible, open that up to Matthew 26. If you have your phone, you could open up the Bible app. It is also in our Elam app in the notes there. It is coming up on the screen. So do everything you can to stick with me, okay? I know reading, like it's like a big no-no reading long, 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 long portions of scripture because you lose the entire audience all in one go, but stick with me, okay? All right. Matthew 26, starting at verse 36, says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that I may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them, left them and went away once more and prayed a third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. We go on to verse 47 where it says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12 arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arrived, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you have come for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Wow. It's a bit of a heavy reading, isn't it? It's a bit of a heavy time. Here is a man whose current circumstance and anticipated sufferings 
are so overwhelming that it's described that he sweats like drops of blood. Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, it says that he was in anguish. He was in so much agony that his sweat fell to the ground like blood. Jesus described himself in his own words. He says that his sorrow is so great. He is sorrow to the point of death. It's a, it's a sorrow which hems him in on every side. It's a sorrow which he cannot escape from. The, this moment that we read here in this passage in Matthew documents Jesus' emotional response, not to a suffering he is experiencing in the moment, but to a suffering he's anticipating that is yet to come. And I can't help but think that if this was his response before the event, what must the actual event have been like? John Stott writes again, he says, the agony in the garden opens a window to a greater agony of the cross. If, a, if, a, if to bear man's sin and God's wrath was so terrible in anticipation, what must the reality have been like? This journey to the cross, this moment in the garden where Jesus is so full of agony and sorrow at something that is yet to come, and listen, he faces it all alone. Did you notice that as we read today? Did you notice as I did, one of the things that stands out to me most about these passages is actually the loneliness of this moment for Jesus. He is utterly alone. As he starts his journey toward the cross, one of the first things that happens is in, in, a, in, a, in a group of his most favoured followers, of the people he's just spent close, like, pretty much every hour of the day with for the last three years. And not one of them, not one of them, not even his core three are able to stay awake with him. In his most agonizing moment, he is let down by his closest friends. Follow that up with a deep betrayal of one of them who's been his follower, one of them who, if you kind of look into the story a little bit, you realise that Judas is, is maybe a bit of a, you know, sceptical character at the best of times, and yet Jesus put his faith in him. Jesus called him out to be one of his followers. Every single one of those disciples, like, left a bit to be desired at times, and Judas was definitely one of them, and yet he put his trust in him, he put his faith in him, and he was betrayed by one of his closest followers. All of the sorrow and agony was in anticipation of the fact that he knew that the moment that the, the sin of the world was laid on his shoulders, that his father would turn his face from him, that he would by, be forsaken by the father himself. The disciples, they just could not empathize. His friend betrayed him. And he knew that on the cross, his father would turn his back on. He is utterly alone, utterly alone. Let's look at it. The first thing, he's isolated from his disciples. He's isolated from his disciples. Jesus takes all the disciples with him to the olive orchard, this place called Gethsemane. What we learn in John in the book of John, is that it's actually a favourite place. It's actually a place where they go often, where he takes his disciples often. And yet in this moment, in this garden, what we see is that a place of connection suddenly became a place of isolation. In fact, if you listen to Steve's message this morning, you see that there is a returning back to a garden. Does this garden seem sound familiar to you in any way? 
See, at the very beginning, there was a garden. There was a place of connection of man communing with God. And all of a sudden, when sin came into the world, that place of connection became a place of shame and isolation and alienation. And here we find ourselves back at a garden that was a place of connection that in this moment we see is becoming a, becomes again a place of isolation and alienation and yet is the very place where the redemptive story begins. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. Jesus takes his three closest, Peter, James and John, they move further into the olive grove. He shares with them, he says, guys, I'm overwhelmed. Guys, I'm so full of sorrow. Guys, I'm so full of sorrow. I am at the point of death. And yet when he leaves them to pray and he comes back, they've fallen asleep. They haven't been able to stay awake. They haven't been able to watch. They haven't been able to support him in any way. See, his disciples just simply could not fathom the pain that he was experiencing. They didn't get it. They couldn't relate. They didn't understand. They couldn't empathize in his suffering. Jesus was utterly alone. Uh, before the worldwide pandemic, uh, Steve and I took my boys to Disney World. We went to Disney World, and in Disney World, if you're a Star Wars fan, you will know that there is this epic ride called the Rise of the Resistance. And I tell you, it is worth it. It is worth every single dollar to go on this ride. I mean, I'm not like a huge Star Wars fan. I watch it because my kids watch it. But this ride is out of control. It's not even a ride. It's like a, it's like a life-changing experience, let me tell you. But we knew, we had learned and discovered through talking to friends, through our reading and through our experiences the previous days, that if you want to be at the front of the game, you have to get up early. So we were like, we want to get on the rise of the resistance. We want to you know, be able to get on this game. We don't want to be waiting in a line for hours. And so we woke up at 5 a.m. We got ourselves ready. We jumped in the car. We drove to, to, to uh, I can't even remember the park that it's in, but we drove there and we got there thinking we would be like, we'll be the first at the gate. You know, like we're so early, we'll be the first at the gate. Uh-uh, there were thousands of people already there. We could not believe it. When we walked in, we were like, what do you mean? What, what are you guys doing here? Like, this is our plan. What are you guys doing? Anyway, the idea was that they would open the gates at 7 a.m., the physical gates, but that they would also open a virtual queue and you had to get on the app and you had to at like 7 a.m. as soon as it opened, you had to push a button and you would enter into a virtual queue and you would be given a number and they would say like, you are 29th in line or you are 275th in line. And then it meant that you could go around the park all day and they would notify you when your allotted time had come up. It was brilliant, it was a great, it was a virtual queue. You didn't have to stand in it because you were virtually in it. It was amazing. But it was an interesting experience because as I stood, like literally stood in the middle of thousands of people and I looked around and in that moment I should have felt like I was surrounded by like camaraderie right oh no it was every man for himself I was in a crowd and yet we felt utterly alone it, I felt like a lone soldier in that moment and I know the scene I've just described to you of Jesus in the garden sounds a little familiar to some of you. I know that for many of you, you can relate to standing in a crowd and yet feeling utterly alone. 
I know that many of you can relate to being in a room full of people and yet feeling like a lone soldier. I know that many of you can relate to standing amidst a whole bunch of people and yet feeling like it's every man for himself. When you look around, you realize, I realise that many of you have probably been in circumstances where you have looked around at the people that are with you and you've gone, they just can't relate. They just can't, they, they, they cannot empathise, they cannot understand, they don't get it, no one gets what I'm going through, no one understands what I'm journeying right now and I want you to know that it's in that place that Jesus found himself. I want you to know that in the place of isolation you have felt Jesus has been there too. The second way I see his loneliness in this story is that he was betrayed by one of his followers, Judas, one of the 12, his closest followers and friends. We know that Judas Iscariot was at the Last Supper. He was at that last, like to get in the room of the Last Supper, you had to be one of the close ones, right? To get an invite to that party, you had to be on the short, short list, right? So Judas, we know he's at that meal, but what we also know is that he left early. He left before the end of the meal and so he didn't end up going with them to the garden. So there are only 11 disciples with Jesus at the garden because Judas is missing. But he knows exactly where to find Jesus because remember, previous point, we learned in John that it's where Jesus and his disciples often went. It was their place of connection. So probably to add fury to the fire, Judas knew exactly where to find Jesus. He found was to find him in their special place. And so after Judas arrived with the crowd of priests carrying swords and clubs and sticks, Judas arranges to reveal to them that Jesus is the one whom I greet with a kiss. He does exactly that and the crowd of priests know which man to seize and so they grab Jesus and they take him away. I cannot begin to imagine the disappointment Jesus must have felt, the betrayal he must have felt in that moment, alone, abandoned, and now betrayed. But I know that in a room this size, it's actually not too far off to say that some of you have felt that same disappointment of betrayal in your own life. I would say that for many of you, there's probably a circumstance that's happened in your life where you have felt let down by someone who just plain shouldn't have let you down. I know that there have probably been times in your life where you have felt like someone who should have had your back didn't. I know that there are probably seasons in your life where you'd probably stand here and say, I know what it's like to be betrayed by someone who is close to me, who was supposed to look out for me, who should have had my back, who was supposed to, see, to, to, think that, to, to, to have done better and they just didn't. I want you to know that when you find yourself in that place, you have to understand that Jesus has been there. He has been right there with you in that place of betrayal. Do you know where he's also been? He's been in a place where he's felt forsaken by the Father. At the cross, the third thing was that he was on the cross, he was forsaken by his Father. When Jesus was on the cross, darkness descended for three hours. I cannot, like, 
when I read about the cross, right, when I read about what happened to Jesus, I just can't even, like I'm always like, I can't imagine what that would be. Imagine three, for all of a sudden going dark for three hours. You're like, man, this is insane. But he's on the cross. At the third hour, he's crucified. At the sixth hour, darkness covers the whole land. And at the ninth hour, Jesus emerges from the darkness and cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness comes over. It kind of symbolizes the separation between the darkness and the light. God, that's light. And the sin that's come upon Jesus, darkness. And as Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We get this picture, this moment where Jesus feels alienated from the Father. This darkness in this dark place, he's utterly alone. He's isolated from his followers. He's betrayed by, Jesus, by, by Judas. He's condemned by the crowds. And he's now forsaken by his father. You know, there are a number of consequences for our sin. There are a number of consequences and we see it. Uh, God talks about it in, in Genesis with the fall. But one of the consequences of sin that we see so glaringly obvious in these passages is the consequence of alienation. Alien, sin alienates us from God. It causes our relationship from God to become broken and it causes us to become separate from the Father. We are alienated from, from Him. And you see it in this moment on the cross when all of a sudden our sin is on Jesus and He feels that alienation through sin. It disconnects us from God, but it also disconnects us from other people. And in this text, what we see is that Jesus was bearing our alienation and rejection. He was the righteous man, righteous, pure, sinless. He was the righteous man bearing the image of the rejected man. Listen to what that means for you and me. It means Jesus bore my isolation so that I would never be alone. It means Jesus bore my rejection so that I could be accepted. I want you to know something tonight. Every time you feel that loneliness come knocking, every time you feel isolated, every time you feel betrayed, every time you feel alone or forsaken, I want you to remind your soul that you serve a God who has been there for you. I want you to remind your soul that there was a Saviour who bore the image of that rejection, that isolation, that alienation, so that you wouldn't have to, so that you would never be alone, so that you could overcome loneliness, overcome betrayal, overcome isolation that comes into our lives. And the question that I think we have to ask ourselves tonight is this, am I living with the connection to God and others that Jesus died to give me. He died to set you free 
from betrayal, from isolation, from alienation. He died so that you wouldn't have to feel that deep sense of anguish and agony and loneliness that he felt. And the question is, am I living a life of connection to God and other people that he died to get me? It's a really important question. And there are three ways that I think we can live connected. And I wanna share with them to you tonight. The first way is this. We need to stay connected with people. We need to stay connected with people. Um, about seven or eight years ago, I went back to England. My, my family are all from the UK, and so I went back to England um, to spend time. And I, I went by myself, well, I went with my brother, but I didn't go with Steve or my kids or anything. I just went with me and my brother. And about 24 hours or 12 to 24 hours after I arrived, I became violently ill. Like, I don't know where it came from. It was probably the sickest I had ever been in my entire life. I was so, 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 so sick. And so I ended up having to stay in bed for the following like 72 hours. And as I was lying in bed, I was just feeling so sorry for myself. I was feeling so sorry for myself. I was really struggling like mentally. I felt lonely. I felt so alone. I felt like super woe is me. I just was really struggling with the situation, not just with the sickness, because that was awful, but just also in myself, I was struggling. And what I realized as I lay on my deathbed, <laughs> like I'm gonna die. As I lay there, what I realized was that I was struggling because I had lost connection to the people of God. See, my family over there are amazing. I love them dearly. And they looked after me and all my physical needs. They gave me a bed, they fed me food, they gave, brought me Panadol, they made sure I was drinking lots of water. They gave all the things that I needed on a physical level, but they don't know the Lord. And so what was missing in my moment of need was not a physical need being met, but a connection to the people of God who could pray for me. I called Steve after thinking about it for like a day and I said to him, I need someone to pray for me. That's what's missing in my life right now. That's why I can't overcome the sickness. That's why I'm struggling right now is I need someone. See, normally in my life, if I'm in New Zealand and I'm surrounded by my people, Steve would have prayed for me. The kids would have prayed for me like they do those cute little bedtime prayers. They would have done that. They work too, you know. You know, um, my team here, they would have been all like on the text, like we're praying for you, we're praying for you. My parents would have been praying for me. I would have been able to call friends. They would have prayed for me. But in this moment of isolation, I felt incredibly disconnected from the people of God. I had lost, I was missing the power of being connected to people of God. And so I wanna encourage you in whatever season you're in, on a weekly basis, this is something I do, I sit down, I'm a geek, so I have a real intense planner, like super intense, where every single week I have to answer questions about how my week went and how my week's gonna be going. And one of those questions, thank goodness they already put it in there because it jogs my memory. One of the questions it asks is, who are you connecting to this week? Who are you connecting with? And I wanna encourage you to make it a weekly habit, if not a daily habit, to ask yourself, who am I connecting to this week that is going to help maintain my connection to the people of God? Give purposeful time to those you know who build you up, challenge you, and encourage you. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says, for a lack of, for a lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors makes victory sure. Think of it like this. 
I feel closest to God when I am. You can fill in the blank there. When I'm at small group, when I'm hanging out after church and we're like doing hang time. I don't know, what, are you, what is it called? <laughs> you guys are like, oh man, she's so embarrassing. I'm turning 38 on Thursday, so I'm, I'm leaning toward the like, am I leaning? Am I always, I'm all the way there, eh? The un- I'm, I'm all the way on the uncool side of life. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, let's move on. I feel closest to God when I'm, when I'm with my kids, when I'm with my, you know, when I'm having a coffee with a friend and we're chatting about what God's speaking to us about, when I'm praying for someone else, when I'm helping someone in need, I feel closest to God then. And if I feel closest to God then, then I cannot neglect that in my life. I need that in my life. Jesus bore my isolation so that I would never be alone. Jesus bore my rejection so I would be accepted. Come on, we need to stay connected with people. The second thing we need to do is stay connected with God. Do you know how bad technology is for this? Like technology is constantly, we are constantly connected when it comes to technology, but in a bad way right? Like we are never without information. We are never, with technology, we are never the last to know anymore because all information is just right out there. You can find it out straight away. No delay in information transfer. We are always up to date with what's going on in the world. The problem is all this connection with technology leaves us disconnected with God, disconnected with the things that matter. I am reminded of this pretty much on a daily basis. I I wrote in here in my notes that I was sitting in a waiting room once like for a doctor, but actually this literally happened to me again, an additional illustration for my message like last night at the fish and chip shop. I'm sitting there waiting for the thing that I'm waiting for and I'm like, I've got plenty of time and I pull out my phone and I'm scrolling and then literally I hear really loud, like really loud as in I can hear that tone of voice is not patient anymore, Rebecca Green. Rebecca Green, Rebecca Green. I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. And I have totally gone into a whole nother world on my phone. I'm completely disconnected. And I miss the arrival of the very thing that I've been waiting for. Like our connection to everything can cause us to become disconnected from the main thing. Am I right? I'm not wrong, am I? Jesus describes himself as the vine in John 15 verse four. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him or a lady, uh, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I tell you though, there's a difference between, between being close to and being connected. A, a branch can be close to the vine, but not connected. Being close to it doesn't mean it's connected, right? Being close to the things of God does not mean you are connected. Coming to church doesn't even mean you're necessarily connected. You're close to it, but you're not, you may still not be connected to it. Tending, attending small group, you're close to the things of God, but are you really connecting into the things of God? Connection does not mean proximity. Connection requires more than just attendance, it requires our engagement. So I wanna ask you the same question, how do I connect with God? I feel closest to God when I am, you fill in the blank. Worshiping, in prayer, in the word, out in nature. I feel closest to God when I am. And if that's the case, then you cannot neglect that stuff in your life. You need it in your life. Jesus bore my isolation so that I would never be alone. Jesus bore my rejection so that I could be accepted. 
The last way that we can stay connected, I'm gonna ask the team to come and join me now, is we can stay connected with purpose. We stay connected with purpose. I love this quote from Eric Little. He says this, he said, God made, he was a runner by the way, God made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I wonder how many of you could say the same about what God created you to do. God made me to sing. I'm not talking about myself, by the way. (laughs) Just using an example. God made me to sing. And when I sing, I feel his pleasure. God made me to take photos. And when I take photos, I feel his pleasure. God made me to make earrings. And when I make earrings, I feel his pleasure. God made me to paint. And when I paint, I feel his pleasure. God made me to preach. And when I preach, I feel his pleasure. What did he make you to do? Because I guarantee you that when you are in the very place that God called you to be, when you are doing the very thing that He created you to do, you will feel closest to your Creator. What is it for you? I feel closest to God when I, you fill in the blank, play the guitar, build. When I'm being a nurse, when I'm teaching, what is it for you? And if it's that for you, then don't neglect that in your life. You need it in your life. Why? Because Jesus bore my isolation so that I would never be alone. He bore my rejection so that I would always be accepted. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Centre podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancentre.org.nz